Oh, that we would have the response of the shepherds to say, Let us go now, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And I just love the way that this passage wraps up by letting us know that God is a promise-keeping God, and that His word is true. Because it says, And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe, laying in a manger, exactly what the angels had said. This morning I want to talk to you about embracing Christmas. Um, because when Jesus came into this world, uh, people had two responses basically to him. They either embraced him or they rejected him. And I want to draw your attention as we intro today to the classic story of A Christmas Carol. I want to talk about two specific things in introduction today. First of all, when Marley's ghost visits Scrooge, he says these words, How often have I walked through my fellow men and never turned my eyes upward to the star which led the wise men to a poor abode. And then the second thing I want to mention is that the ghost of Christmas present points out that the founder of Christmas was himself a child, and that child is the child that we sang about in What Child Is This? And then I guess there's a third thing, because when, when Scrooge's redemption is complete, he says, as he's praying at the end of the book, I will uh, strive to live in the past, the present, and the future, the spirits of all three will strive within me. And I just really like the pictures that that paints as far as embracing Christmas. So now we're going to look in the scriptures at four different people, or four different groups of people, as the case may be, who had an embracing response to Christmas. So I have my cross-references written down today, so just relax and follow along. But the first passage that we are going to talk about is Luke 1, 30-38. And this is Mary. This is Mary's response to the message of Christmas. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. 
And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And so in this passage, I just want to point out a couple of things. First of all, the angel appears to Mary. And I don't know what she was doing when the angel appeared to her, but I'm sure she was just going throughout her day. She thought this is just going to be a normal day like any other day. And the angel appears to her, and the first thing he says is, Fear not. Because when you see a heavenly messenger, your first response is fear. And we know from from Zacharias earlier in the book of Luke that that was the case for him. And the angel lays out the case for the baby Jesus and what is going to occur when Mary um, gives birth. And then Mary asks a question. She says, how can this be, seeing that I do not know a man? And then the angel explains how it's going to happen. And then he does something to me which is significant. He says... Um, and behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. So God is uh, coming to this girl, who many scholars believe was a teenager, and saying, this impossible thing is going to happen to you. And the way that he prepares her for it is to let her know about another impossible thing, that her cousin Elizabeth is expecting a baby, even though that seems impossible. So I love the way God meets us where we are. I often wondered growing up why God struck Zacharias dumb and and just simply answered Mary's question, but all I know is that God knows the hearts of man and he knows what we need when we need it. And so he knows that Mary needs to be encouraged. And then he says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary had a choice at that point to resist. You know, I'm not saying she would have gotten out of it because we know that when Moses resisted, he did not get out of it. God continued to work on him and break him down until he was willing. But Mary is willing and she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And of course, later we know that she would say, My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. She knew that she needed a Savior. And um, so we can be assured that the only thing special about Mary was the grace of God. And um, so I was just really encouraged by her response. She embraced the task that God put before her. And now if you'll flip in your Bibles to Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, um, we read here Paul's kind of depiction of the Christmas story when he says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of of sons. And I, I like this first phrase, but when the fullness of time was come. You know, in our economy, we often think, well, why isn't God working in this situation? Why has he not moved already? Uh, why is he allowing this to happen? Um, but I, I still remember years ago, um, 
going to some kind of event and hearing this southern gospel song that say that basically said God's never early, he's never late, he's always right on time. And his his timing is not our timing. Uh, the people of Israel waited, you know, four or five thousand years from the time that, uh, or even more, from the time that God said in Genesis chapter 3, I will give you a Redeemer, to the time that Jesus actually came on the scene. And he was redeeming those who are under the law. Why? Because the law was not sufficient for redemption. And so that's important for us to remember when we are challenged um, by by certain people that following the law is a prerequisite for following the Lord. It's actually kind of interesting that Jesus will rebuke the Pharisees for even adding unto the laws that were listed and making them even worse. And he says, you put, uh, you put burdens on people's shoulders that you yourself are not even able to bear. And that is significant for us to remember that God is the one who set forth salvation. And he did it so that we could be redeemed um, from the law because we didn't have a way to be redeemed ourselves. I have this story that I found that I think illustrates this well. It says, Bobby had read in his Bible lesson with Daddy just before bedtime the words, If I had not come. When he thought he awoke Christmas morning, there was no stocking or holly wreath. He went for a walk and found factories busy at work. He went to the orphanage and found only a vacant lot. Then he went to his church and found a for sale sign with If I Had Not Come written at the bottom. Again he found these words over a gate post of an empty lot where he went to find a hospital. Disconsolate, he ran home and picked up his Bible, but all the last part of the book had blank pages. He awoke, and it was a dream. Do you wonder? He slipped down on his knees and said, Oh, dear Jesus, I am so glad you did come. Help me to tell others about you. So we see the significance of Jesus coming. That is the hope that the world has today, the only hope that they have today, and the hope that they desperately need. So we see that Mary was an embracer of Christmas. So God knew that Mary needed someone alongside her to help fulfill her task, and he sent Joseph into her life. So Joseph is the second person that we are talking about today. And if you will turn with me to Matthew 1, verses 20 and 24, we see um, the Apostle Matthew's depiction of God's message to Joseph. And it says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And that is Matthew one twenty to twenty four. And we see here that Joseph was thinking on these things. What things was he thinking on? He was thinking on the idea and the, the possible necessity of putting away Mary because she had appeared to be unfaithful to him. I like the fact about Joseph that he was deliberate in his thought processes and that he did not um, just make haste. How often have we done something in haste and have it be a rash decision which we later regret? So he's thinking on these things. And he has an open heart to what God might um, give him wisdom. The Bible says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And I, I do wonder if prayer was not a part of this thinking on these things. And so the Lord appears to him and says, Don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. She's been faithful to you, and she needs you, because the baby that she is growing is, in fact, the Son of God. And if we continue on in the passage, we find that he took care of her and that he knew her not, meaning he did not have a physical relationship with her in the bonds of marriage until after Jesus was born. Why? Because it was important to establish that Jesus was virgin-born because he did not have the sin nature of his father. So I just I just like the fact that that God is once again confirming the message that he gave Mary. He's giving Joseph a lot of this information so that Joseph will know that Mary wasn't just talking and giving idle tales and that, that what he said he actually believed. And so it's very important for us to realize that and to take that into consideration. So as we consider this idea of the Incarnation, and as we put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph as he's contemplating it, I wonder if we might look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. And this is also Paul. Paul uh, definitely had a way with words, and God really blessed his pen. And Paul says this in Colossians 1, 19 to 21. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you who are sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked work, yet now he hath reconciled. So we have this situation where God comes in the form of Jesus to this sin-seek world, and his purpose for coming was to make peace through his cross. Do you ever stop and consider the fact that the cradle of Christmas leads to the cross? That's something that we should not lose sight of and we should keep in perspective. And I love this last part of the passage. And you who are sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now he hath reconciled. We, we sing that Christmas hymn with the, the phrase, God and sinners reconciled. 
And we can truly rejoice in that. Okay, we've looked at Mary and Joseph as two people that clearly embraced Christmas. Let's look at our third individual that embraced Christmas, and that is Elizabeth. If you turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 43, um, Mary, again, as we read earlier, has been told that she is going to have this baby. She's been told about Elizabeth's miracle, um, that she who is barren um, is now going to have a baby. And so she goes and visits Elizabeth. No doubt that was very encouraging for both of them as they were both experiencing something extremely abnormal. And this is what Elizabeth says when Mary comes in the door. And whence is it to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And if you read on through the passage, you will find that uh, it says that when she went in the door, the babe in Elizabeth's womb leaped. So it's always been exciting to me that the first person to testify to the coming of the Lord Jesus was an unborn baby, and that was John the Baptist. So Elizabeth knew immediately that Mary was the mother of the Lord, and I love the fact that God gave her that insight and that they were able to support each other during that time. Scripture seems to indicate that Mary was there until the birth of John the Baptist and then went back home to be with Joseph. Um, and it just shows me how much of a treasure um, Elizabeth saw Jesus as because she is humbled by the fact that the mother of her Lord would come into her home. And that reminds me of what Paul said about uh, how important Christ was to him in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. And Paul has basically laid out the case that if anybody has bragging rights in this life, he does, um, because he uh, is has all these important credentials. But this is what he says in uh, Philippians chapter 3, 7, and 8. He says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So we have this situation where we see Elizabeth embracing the Christ child, and then we see Paul in this cross-reference embracing Christ for who he is and saying, all these accomplishments that I had, all these accolades that I have, I count them but dumb. And, and dumb is like the lowest of things uh, that you could ever think of. It's dirty, it stinks, but yet Paul is saying, everything that I have, I count but dung, that I may win Christ. Martin Luther said, The mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. And it really is. Um, we can try to comprehend it, um, but usually when we are 
thinking about Christ, we think about his divinity, or we think about his humanity, but it's very hard to comprehend that divinity and humanity um, are coexistent within our Lord Jesus, but how thankful we are for both. Okay, so now we've talked about Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and their embracing of the Christ child. Now let's talk about the shepherds. Um, the shepherds, it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, it gives us the shepherds' response to hearing about Jesus being born. And it's interesting that they were the first to um, get this message. Um, some scholars believe that these shepherds were the shepherds of the Passover lambs, so there was significance there, because basically what the angels were letting them know is that their Passover lambs would no longer be necessary as Jesus grew up and made his sacrifice. And in Luke 2, 12-16 we read, And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which shall come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in the manger. Now, I, I read something this week that said it was about a seven-mile walk to um, Bethlehem from where the shepherds were, and they dropped everything and went to find this baby um, because they didn't want to wait to find the fulfillment of this good news. And that's the kind of hope and and joy that having Jesus in our life um, does for us. It makes us want to share the message with as many people as we can. And oh, that we would have the response of the shepherds to say, let us go now, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And I just love the way that this passage wraps up by letting us know that God is a promise-keeping God and that His Word is true. Because it says, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in a manger, exactly what the angels had said. As we consider this, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, 20 and 21. Hebrews chapter 13, 20 and 21, uh, the author of Hebrews is kind of giving us a little bit more insight into what we just read in Luke chapter 2. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good, good work, to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And uh, we see 
um, that the angels said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so we can be thankful that the God of peace gave us Jesus to make our peace with heaven and to pull us out of hell. Um, it's interesting that the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples when he appears to them is not, You fools, why didn't you believe me? But rather, peace be unto you. Because he has made peace possible through his sacrifice. This is a source unknown quote, but it says, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. What a wonderful blessing that is. As we continue our circuit through the scriptures and think about people and their responses to our Lord, we finish with our fifth source, I think I said there was four, but there's actually five. So our fifth embracer of Christmas, or, or it's actually a duet, and that is Simeon and Anna. Luke 2, 25-38 is where we find their story. And it is so uh, encouraging and full of insight for us. So Luke 2.25-38 says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and that same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought the child, brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms, and blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at the things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of almost fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instance, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spoke of him to all them that looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. And I just want to point out a couple of things. First of all, um, Simeon was, it says that he was, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. So he was focused on the things of God. And then the Holy Spirit said, you're not going to see death until you see 
my Christ. And so the Spirit directed him into the temple. And when Jesus came in, he gave his prophecy about how Jesus would change the world. And the thing I often think about in this is that Simeon said to Mary, A sword will pierce your own soul also. And I'm sure she had a hard time comprehending what that means. When the shepherds came to them, it says that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There were a lot of things that Mary knew, but I don't think she knew the true, full significance of everything during those early days. But I wonder if as she was looking at Jesus on the cross, if she was thinking about that sword that was indeed piercing her soul. And so then we see Simeon say, You can let your spirit, your servant, depart in peace. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. What a wonderful thing it must have been for Simeon to see the fulfillment of God's promise before he passed away. Um, he will be in heaven at the resurrection of the dead because of Jesus' redemption. And then we see Anna, again, someone who is devoted to God, someone who stayed in the temple and fasted and prayed day and night, night and day. It was a regular part of her life. And so she was in tune with the Lord. And so she knew when God's redemption was coming. And she embraced Jesus and she shared him with others. And it just reminds me of what Jesus said. That if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You will ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Simeon and Anna were just people like you and me, but they were devoted to God, and God revealed himself to them. Remember in the Old Testament, Abram was a friend of God, and so God revealed to him what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, and of course allowed him to rescue Lot from a certain destruction. And we don't read much positive about Lot, but we know that Jesus said, in the New Testament, that, that righteous Lot's soul was vexed. So we know in the eyes of Jesus, Lot is righteous, and we will see him. It just shows you the different way that God thinks about things versus man. And as we think about this truth being revealed and these people embracing the Christ of Christmas, it brings my thoughts to Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14. Titus 2.11-14, where the Apostle Paul is writing once again, and he says, For the grace of God, which bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he may redeem us, from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And I just, I just think it's really nice for us to think about the fact that the promise 
of his first coming, which we celebrate this week with Christmas, reminds us of the promise of his second coming. Uh, he's coming again. When he instituted the Lord's table, which we celebrated this morning, he said, This do in remembrance of me until I come, because he is coming. Two women who were having lunch in an elegant hotel were approached by a mutual friend who asked the occasion for the meal. One lady replied, We are celebrating the birth of my baby boy. But where is he? inquired the friend. Oh, said the mother, you didn't think I'd bring him, did you? What a picture of the way the world treats Jesus at Christmas. There, There's an old hymn that says, Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin, as he knocks and asks admittance, sinner, will you let him in? So that would be my question to you today. Will you follow the example of these five people from Scripture who embraced Christmas? Will you be like Mary who said, Be it unto me according to your word? Will you be like Joseph who rises in obedience and does the will of God? Will you be like Elizabeth who rejoices in the Lord and has an open heart for him? Will you be like the shepherds who go and tell other people about what they've seen? If you had read that passage on, you would have found that after they saw the baby and his mother and father, then they went and told everyone who would listen about the redemption of Israel through Jesus. And again, I'm sure they didn't understand the full significance, but what they understood and were responsible for, they took seriously. Will you be like Simeon and Anna, who are ever waiting for the Lord? We are encouraged to look for the blessed hope, as we read about in Titus, of his glorious appearing. It is going to happen, folks. I'm excited for it. There will be no more coronavirus. There will be no more wheelchairs. There will be no more sorrow. We won't hear about any more funeral services. We will just have our love for God and the perfection that he offers, because he will do away with sin once and for all. So my encouragement to you is, today embrace the Christ of Christmas. The Apostle Paul said, now is the accepted time, today is the day of salvation. So I encourage you that you, as these individuals did in the pages of scripture, will embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which has been ever before us this morning. We thank you for each of these examples that you've given us in the scripture of people that embraced your coming. Lord, I think about Jesus when he was sending his disciples forth to share the gospel. He said, if people don't listen, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next place. But if people accept you, then go in and fellowship with them. 
And truly, Lord Jesus, today you say to us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, then I will enter, and I will sup with him and he with me. Lord, my prayer is that many would come to you through this Christmas season, that they would see that the only hope we have in this crazy, messed up world is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, each of the saints in Holland and around the globe today, and that we would be rejoicing in the truth of Christmas um, this week, which is Emmanuel, God with us. In the name of the risen Christ, amen.